Hello, hello. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech and Happy New Year for those of you who celebrate New Year on the 1st of January like I do. <laughs> As a Scot, we like to do it properly here. We take two whole days off, not just one. Um, Scotland's kind of funny, although we're part of the UK, we have our own holidays. The whole of the UK, all the, all the nations that make up the United Kingdom have their own holidays. Most of them overlap, but one of the differences is that Scotland takes the 2nd of January, not just the 1st of January, which is what the rest of the UK does. We have one day less later in the year, I think, to make up for it. But yeah, we like to do it properly around here. <laughs> what can I say? We're like a good New Year's celebration. I'm actually recording this just before Christmas because I am not going to be working ahead of this episode releasing. But I really hope that you had a fabulous holiday season, that you're raring to go and looking forward to the New Year. Talking of which... I'm delighted to let you know that we are running a planning challenge in January. We are going to be showing you how to put together a great plan for 2023 so you can up-level the process that you need to be going through and getting you ready and in the zone for creating great outcomes for the year ahead. If that sounds good to you, head over to tonycollis.com forward slash plan 2023 to find out all the details of how to join in and I cannot wait to meet you and get to know you or if you're already in my world then get to see you again and see how your 2023 is shaping up head to tonycollis.com forward slash plan 2023 and there you can find that link in the show notes as well but back to today's episode we're starting 2023 off the way I intend to go on today I am talking about why women need to stop being mentors to so many women in the workplace. Oh, this is controversial. But also what that means in terms of your skills at work, your resume at work and getting hired. There's a lot of interesting topics and a little bit of controversy maybe today. But we are talking to the extraordinary Bailey Showalter. Bailey is the Vice President of Talent Solutions at Credly, where she is focused on the growth initiatives for the company, and as part of that, she is in charge of helping the company deliver on their core mission, which is all about helping to connect people to the right opportunities at the right time on the basis of their verified skills. This is what Credly is all about. Previously, Bailey worked as the lead for an incubator global commercialization team at Indeed.com, where she bought new products to market for conception, validated product market fit, and then launched them to a global scale. So you can tell with her experience, she has a lot to say and a lot of experience about what helps people get hired. She is particularly invested in helping employers find better signals for hiring, deploying the right talent to the right place, especially when a lot of the industry is using outdated approaches that perpetuate systemic bias. She holds a BA in English language and literature, so she's a bit different from some of our traditional techies, but therefore provides an amazing set of insights that you might not have heard before. So without further ado, let's get Bailey onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion 
into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Bailey. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Tony. I'm so excited to be here. I like to start with every single guest on the show with a career journey, the highlights, the lowlights, and why you're here, why you're passionate about helping women make that sideways move in their careers without starting at the bottom of the ladder, because it's a very important topic. So tell us a little bit more about you and how you got to there. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think like many people, my career has not been a straight line. It hasn't been a linear trajectory. Uh, I actually started in in sales and in uh, wealth management sales at that. Uh, so I started off in the financial sector. And after a couple of years there, uh, went over to join Indeed just after their acquisition uh, by recruits. So they're still not nearly the household name they are now and joined their sales team uh, and was there for a lot of the really, really rapid growth. While I was there, I started with where I had strength and proven capability in sales, uh, but had a lot of opportunities to get to know other leaders throughout the organization, get to know what different teams did, uh, and was able to figure out what was interesting to me outside of where I was currently. And uh, moved across the organization into roles that were opening up that were being created as the company grew. And those ki- those kind of stair-stepped. So sales to sales strategy, to product strategy, to commercialization and growth, and increased leadership along the way. And then I joined Credly to take some of the challenges that I was hearing in my roles at, at Indeed. Uh, and tackle them from a fresh perspective uh, and a little bit different of a level as well with a different scope, working really closely with product, also with the revenue teams and uh, getting a different perspective on how products launch and how companies grow. So it's been, I think, very opportunistic, uh, but has been a really interesting journey. And I've I've gotten to see so many different sides of the business and have been so fortunate to have had people who created space for me when there was a good fit of skill and need within the organization that allowed me to continue growing and allowed me to continue learning while adding value. Uh, And I really believe strongly in uh, our responsibility as leaders to do that as much as possible. Is this your first role out of interest where you're working this closely with a product team? I was working pretty closely with the product teams at Indeed, but this one is different. This is on the hook. We have to ship certain things uh, at certain (laughs) times. Uh, If we don't ship what we've said we would, sales team doesn't have what they need to sell. And so having that revenue responsibility plus Mm. a more direct uh, alignment with the roadmap is, it's a different perspective. Yeah, there's something kind of cool, but also stressful about that entrepreneur experience where you are so close to the wire with all the deliverables. Uh, yeah, if you if you don't ship when you say you're going to ship, you you have serious problems. So it's kind of a cool place to be. It's a bit stressful for some people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is both cool and stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I should do a whole episode on the stress of working in a startup, uh, which actually I don't think needs to be as stressful as it often is. I think it's there's a whole episode going on in there. <laughs> there. There is a lot there. It doesn't, I think some of it is self-inflicted uh, from my own experience. <laughs> yes, 100%. Anyway, we maybe should have another conversation about that at some yeah. point. Um, <laughs> let's talk about transferable skills because I know you're passionate about helping women make that sideways move in their career without starting at the bottom of the ladder. And I have so many women come to me over the years who want to reinvent themselves. Maybe they've not been in tech before. They come to me to land a job in tech. And so many of them think they have to start at the bottom of the ladder. Why is that not true? 
because a lot of the skills that we develop throughout our career are are directly transferable. You don't forget how to be a leader. You don't forget how to communicate or collaborate. Mm. Uh, you don't forget how to use Excel. A lot of the things that we live and breathe <laughs> in, the tools that we use all day, uh, and our ways of working are fairly similar. And then it's just figuring out the nuance of different types of expertise. But I think in a lot of cases, industry expertise, for example, is is developed through asking great questions and being a student very quickly is not necessarily always something that has to be there in order to add value and contribute straight away when we're able to bring our the depth of our previous experiences and perspectives and probably ask questions that haven't necessarily been asked in a long time because we're coming at it with a new through a new lens. Mm, yeah, I, and I think that is one of the key selling points whenever we take a sideways step, uh, whether it's a completely new industry or just changing our job description slightly. So I move from being very technical to being a chief business development officer, which has all the responsibility for revenue, sales, but also product development. There was a massive shift, but the technical background served me well. And it was that new lens. I brought a new lens into that side of the business. But I also have worked with extraordinary women who have no technical background, who've moved into a senior leadership role in a technical company. And it's that different perspective that really is what the company values in them, not the lack of skills in a very specific area. Yeah, I, I remember, um, well, I will speak for myself, but I think it is a common thing to suffer from imposter syndrome at different points in our careers. And I remember talking to someone who uh, I was I was making a similar transition into a more technical role than I had been in before, but at a leadership level. And uh, someone was said, they're not hiring you because of your technical expertise. They're hiring you as a leader. Mm. And it's your job to lead your team who has the technical expertise, yes. make sure they can do their jobs well. But you're you're there to lead and to set the vision and to unblock your team. You don't have to know everything about everything. And that's a little that's liberating and also a little scary to, it's to, very to scary. let go of the reins. Um <laughs> <laughs> but that that's where, you know, leading into what is transferable is is such mm -hmm. an advantage and something that we often overlook as extremely valid. In some respects, actually, I think if you can get over the emotional hurdle of, oh my gosh, can I really lead this team when I've never done their jobs? You are you you're in such a great position, not simply because you've got those transferable skills, you've got that different lens but also because you can't do their job. I, again, <laughs> have worked with so many managers, not necessarily leaders, but managers who come to me because they're getting negative feedback as a manager. Like, oh my gosh, they're just not doing a great job and they're very worried about their jobs. Imposter syndrome comes in, all that. And part of it is they're still trying to do their old job. They want to keep their hands in the weeds, their hands on their keyboard. And I'm like, that's not your job anymore. And I think when we take that sideways move, if we haven't done the job of the people that report to us, we can't just dive in and do their job for them. We've got to have the confidence to trust that that's a good thing. But I think if there is a real opportunity there, actually, to get out of the way of your team so they can do great work and you can focus on why you were put there, which is to lead. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, that's that's exactly it. It That is one of the hardest transitions to make. And uh, I even, I remember I separately was joining a team and had had a different function that was joining my organization. And I thought that my job was to learn everything about their job. And I was like trying to become a data analyst at night and 
you know, of trying to figure out all these things. And those technical skills have served me well, but I really didn't need to know that much about it and had a bit of a talking to by my manager at the time of like, you don't need to do their jobs. That's why they're here. <laughs> you need to do your job. Take a step back. 100%. Well, um, let's actually talk about transferable skills in, in terms of talent pool, because I know this is something else you're very passionate about. Can you explain to the audience how we can unlock the talent pool by looking for transferable skills as well? Yeah, I, I mean, this has been a really difficult couple of years to hire in. We've seen the labor pool shrinking and the number of open jobs growing at the same time, which creates a pretty tight market. I think at its lowest, it was something like two and a half or three percent unemployment, which is wild. That's that's extraordinarily low. And if we're going to keep meeting the objectives of our business, we have to figure out a way to hire for the roles that are open. Some of that is looking through the traditional pools, the traditional paths that we've always found to have success. But a lot of it is expanding where we're finding people who can do the job. And I think one of one of the things that I've seen as a trend that kind of feeds into this is as hiring managers, we have a bit of a wish list in our job descriptions. We mm. want someone who has the experience, the expertise, the deep domain knowledge, uh, can hit the ground running, can can solve all of our problems. And we we set ourselves up to only try to hire unicorns rather than getting super clear on what are the actual skills that I need this person to have today to be able to meet the expectations of the job today. And what can I teach? A lot of things we can actually teach pretty quickly if we're very honest with ourselves. They don't necessarily need to have it today. And if we're super clear on what those transferable skills are, then all of a sudden we can start recruiting from different industries, from different backgrounds, uh, from folks who have developed those skills through paths that we would consider less traditional. So if we're talking about education, maybe someone who did a lot of self-directed learning rather than completing a bachelor's degree. But it, but if they still have those same skills, if they're still a really great self-driven learner, that's absolutely someone I want on my team. And so if we if we broaden that that net a little bit, all of a sudden we can recruit from from millions more people than our competitors can. And we can really bring in not only great talent, not not only talent that's being overlooked, but perspectives that our competitors don't have who are going to ask questions in the way that our competitors aren't and who are going to be able to solve problems in a more creative way because they don't have uh, all the baggage that we do, having gone through things traditionally. I, I think this is such a fascinating one. I, I really want to get on to talking about women in their careers again, but for the managers listening out there, this is something I don't think that we can take too seriously. A couple of years ago, I was working with this extraordinary VP of engineering and she was desperately trying to hire someone to be um, a senior director underneath her. And it was at the point where everything was really crunchy. It was so hard to hire. And the company had this checklist of all these things that this person needed to have from like particular backgrounds in education, certifications and all this. And so she was competing against the likes of Google and Amazon and Facebook and she just could she get people to be like really excited. Then they got the competing offers and she couldn't compete, right? She was offering more and more equity, but at the end of the day, people were like some cold hard cash sometimes. And plus there's this attitude that the big companies are somehow better. I actually disagree with that. But anyway, so she was unable to compete. And so we went through this list of requirements. And I was just like, why is this even here? <laughs> Have we not got past the days of like the Ivy League education being the stamp that gets people to interview? Like, what are we talking about? 
And even just the background, I'm like, does anybody actually need that specific thing the day they start? And she was like, well, actually, we don't even use that anymore. It's more like that they've got that background so they know how we talk. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I think we really need to look hard at this when we are struggling to recruit to say like why is all the, why are all these requirements here what actually matters absolutely I, I one of mine that I get so frustrated by is years of experience oh my god in yes. addition to those arbitrary uh, education requirements and and did you work for a, a fang company but the mm-hmm. the years of experience a lot of times they're just our our kind of slapdash way of trying to assess what depth what level of depth of expertise you have mm-hmm. uh, using a pretty random just year range and weeding people out because they haven't been in that role for an arbitrary number of years. And then we screen people out who got promoted, for example. Like it's just, it's Mm -hmm. so silly. And I'm not saying there's no place for expertise because there is. And I don't think it's defined by the actual years you've been doing something. Um, And so I think it is, it's an invitation for us to be really clear about what's necessary and uh, ruthless about what isn't. Yeah, 100%. Well, I want to get on to women in their careers. And in particular, I know you have very strong opinions about mentoring. (laughs) (laughs) So can you share with us the pros and cons of mentoring in your opinion? Yeah, I I feel like I'm getting a bit of a reputation inadvertently for being anti-mentoring, and I'm not. Um, I, I think there's... Right, I might I might join you in that, in that I'm not quite, but there is a problem with it. So. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's. I think mentoring is helpful. Having a soundboard, uh, being able to ask questions of someone who's been there, who's done it, who can bring a different, neutral, third-party perspective to the problem you're working through is super valuable. And mentoring isn't enough. We, yeah, uh, especially women, are at this point kind of mentored to death. We have so many people who want to give us advice, who want who want to show us the way, and yeah, and without our permission, we're mentored without asking for it. And I think that's the danger yeah. here. Whereas I know a lot of women who want mentors, but they've got all these unofficial mentors who aren't actually doing them a service. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, you know, it's as a mentor, are you giving unwanted advice to make yourself feel mm. good, or are you helping? your mentee get to the next level in their career. And I think part of that is aided by advice and helping people brainstorm, but a bigger part of it is actually opening a door for them or bringing them into the room with you or helping them really get super prepared for their next skip level meeting that they've never gotten to be in that uh, level Uh, and, and helping them understand what are the expectations that are new and different when you walk into that room. Uh, saying the kind of quiet parts out loud so that people can get really, really mm. prepared and clear. And when roles come open that are exciting steps up, next steps for uh, for people, and you know that the person you've been mentoring and the person you've been coaching would be an amazing fit, say so. Put your neck mm. out there and advocate for them to have a chance too. Well, I know that one of the things you're talking about is this, these advocates, you would call them champions, in fact, and I know that part of it is also a lot of the women I work with are very, very time poor. They get 100 requests a week almost for like mentorship, both from within their company. Um, there's an expectation within their company that they should mentor because they're a woman and it's really important. And then there's a social pressure of we have to elevate women around us. And so as a woman in tech, we have to mentor women. And oh, my goodness me. And there's a real, real problem with burnout. Um, and actually, one of the things I do is I give my clients permission to not mentor and to say there are other ways of opening the door for women. And I do believe we have a duty 
to the women coming up behind us to make it easier for them than it was for us. Every single generation has this duty because it's still not a level playing field. But at the same time, you shouldn't be doing that at the cost of your own mental health and career. Otherwise, what kind of role model are you? So I like your idea of being a champion from the point of view of like, I'm time poor. How does it work to be a champion rather than a mentor? Um, I, I mean, I think we have to be selective with our emotional labor that we give and treat this like any other element of our job and how we divide up our day. We don't have all day to give to mentoring, um, unfortunately. And so we we do have to be really careful with what we accept and who we maybe redirect or, to your point, give them different uh, solutions for the questions that they're trying to solve. But one of one of the things that I personally have found to be effective in helping the people on my team get ready for their next promotion or get ready for their next role is literally to bring them with me um, if they if they work at my current company. So there is some confidentiality and uh, sensitivity. But if if they're within our organization and if I'm presenting on something that they've been working on, um, you know, as leaders, we all have decks, for example, that share, we're sharing out with different leadership groups that our teams have contributed to. And if it's appropriate, maybe bringing one of those people who contributed in a really meaningful way to one of those projects in for a portion of that so they can present their own uh, their own work. And making sure that before we go into that meeting, that the slides are prepared, that they're prepared, that they're ready for the questions that may come, uh, that they know what that is going to be expected of them in that room and, and time bounding it, but starting to get them incrementally ready to show to not just me, but to the people who really need to see it as well, uh, the quality of the work and, and the the level of expertise that they have it can bring to the organization. And I've, I have found that over time, building those proof points and letting other people get to know this person in the same way that I do uh, has been a really effective way of when it is time to set them up for a promotion or when they do want to apply for a new role. They have a lot of advocates around them. It's not just me. I'm kind of sharing <laughs> sharing that burden. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a lot of people who believe in them and see them as well. Actually, that brings us nicely to a trap that I see so many of us fall into, which is quite often as women, and I, again, I'm massively generalizing here, but we, on average, take longer to learn how to speak up in our careers than our male peers. Social conditioning is, has a lot to answer for here, right? And I see so many extraordinary women, they finally learn how to speak up for themselves. But then they have a fear that goes hand in hand with that, which is not speaking up for myself. And that can manifest as not sharing credit. So when we're saying now to be a champion, sometimes it's a really hard road to navigate because we finally undone this conditioning around owning our value and speaking it. And now we're telling them, yes, speak about what your team's done for you and fight, bring them to the table. How do we help people get through that blocker? I think this actually connects into what we started talking about with being a leader or a manager means not doing the day-to-day work. Mm. It means setting your team up for success and unblocking them, helping them answer their questions, helping the business answer the questions that they have. And when you're doing your job super well, when you're in a position that you are championing people, the way that you're evaluated is how good of a leader you are, not how good of an individual contributor you are. Mm. And so I think it is drawing that distinction and saying, I'm really effective at empowering my team and my team does amazing work. 
because they're great, but I'm good at building really great teams. And I'm good at making sure that their, their output is what this business needs. And that's why I'm here. And it's, they're two different things. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'd love to pivot slightly, just as I know we're running out of time here, but I want to talk about resumes very briefly. Mm -hmm. After your work at Indeed, I'm sure you've seen many of them. And I know that the frustrations of resumes not working well, not doing justice to the person underpins some of the work you do now at Credly. So can you share very briefly, especially as it's the new year and people are putting themselves out there, getting ready for landing their best job in 2023, what are some of your top tips for writing a better resume as a leader? Um, I, I think it is bringing to the top things that matter to a hiring manager. So often I would, and I still do, hear job seekers say, I just, I want a chance to show people what I can do. My resume doesn't tell my story. I do. Mm. And showing people what you can do is starting to say, these are my skills. This is how good I am at these different areas. This is how I can really, you know, add value to your organization based off of your job description, based off of what I know you're doing. So there is a little bit of a cover letter component here, too. But making sure that the skills that you're highlighting are at the top, that they're front and center and that they align with what you're bringing to the table, align with what that company needs for this role to be effective. And, and just make it abundantly obvious how good of a fit you are when you are a great fit for a role. Mm, oh, so good. I at the end of the day, your resume is to get you to the interview. Yes. So you have to put the work in to get the interview. I think a lot of people think the resume is less important than the interview. It's not. Everything hinges on the resume opening that door for you, other than potentially having a great person saying, hey, you need to speak to this person. I know their resume is terrible. <laughs> Still doesn't look <laughs> yeah. good. I mean, it's, it's a series of decisions, right? So the resume opens the interview decision, and then each interview is a do we want to hire this person decision mm. or keep interviewing them? But the interview is to make a decision on a hire and a resume is to make a decision to even get that interview. So you have to put in the work yeah. so that you can really stand out. Yes, absolutely. Shameless plug here, folks. I didn't know we were going to talk about this necessarily today, but if you do need help with your resume, do go over to my shop, tonycollis.com forward slash shop. And there is a resume toolkit for leaders in tech. But I want to ask Bailey, before we move on to the quick fire round, what is your number one piece of advice to a woman in tech considering her next leadership career move as we head into 2023? I think it's get really clear on what brings you joy, what what makes you feel alive when you're working and do more of that. Do more of those tasks. Oh, yes. Um, and so for myself, I love to bucket my own day and my months and what I'm responsible for into things that bring me joy and give me energy, things that don't but could if I was better at them, um, <laughs> things I want to stop doing, and oh, yes. um, things that aren't relevant but I'm doing a lot of, so kind of time wasters. And I try to move every everything, I try to move as much as possible into things that bring me joy and things that could bring me joy if I got more practice at them and try to find ways to make my day-to-day -day responsibilities less and less of the things that are draining. So I think figure out what that is for you and try to do more and more of those those uh, energy giving activities. Oh, I love that so much. It's what what you just described is what I call the flow zone where like your work just oozes out of you because it's so beautifully aligned with who you are and I think the more we can operate in that zone the better for everybody not just ourselves because we do our best work in that zone. Absolutely. 
Okay, let's move on to the quick fly round. Oh, my favorite question to start off with. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Try to come across as a little less condescending. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to give us some back. This is a oh, quick fly round, but you have to give some backstory on this one. <laughs> uh, this was uh, this was kind of. I was in a transition role and was working really closely with clients on kind of solving some of their strategic challenges. And I would push them really hard on what their problems were and then bring them back what they basically told me were their challenges and how they could solve them. Uh, and I d- wasn't landing the delivery, um, apparently, and was told to try to present it in a way that came across as less condescending. And I always wondered how much of that was gender-based. I think there were other ways mm-hmm. to give that feedback if it was a tone or a presentation issue that would have given me something a little more constructive to work from there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Okay, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, it really is find do what brings you joy. It is so. I pass on the best piece of advice that I was given because I found it to be extremely helpful. Oh, beautiful! And what is the last book you read? Um, I'm currently reading "Cutting for Stone" by Abraham Varghese, but I just uh, finished the Earthsea series by Ursula Le Guin. Oh, yeah. I haven't read that since I was like a teenager. I'm going to have to go back and reread those. I just wow. discovered it. <laughs> it's, it's been really fun. <laughs> Amazing. Um, what is the last movie or TV show you watched? Uh, the last one I watched all the way through was Extraordinary Attorney Wu, which is delightful. It's out of South Korea about an attorney with or who's on the autism spectrum. Oh, wow. And Very cool. I'm going to it was, check that one out. It was wonderful. Puts me to shame a little bit. I've been watching She-Hulk. I'm not sure that's I've heard that's wonderful. <laughs> it's well, fun. I mean, it's a, it's like kind of a, it's got a romantic bent. It's, it's a very, like, it's a, <laughs> it's an engaging fictional show. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, it's time for the mindset moment. At the end of every episode, I like to give listeners a simple mindset tip to help them adjust how they think or act on the topic of today's podcast. So I'd love for you to share your favorite mindset tip for leaders. Uh, be really, uh, be really clear on what matters for your team uh, and help declutter all the rest of the noise for them. Beautiful. This has been amazing. So how can people find out more about you, about what you're doing at Credly um, and get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, I Bailey Showalter, and then follow Credly's blogs. Uh, we love to share what we're up to. We have lots of really cool uh, tools that are coming out to market to help people really uh, empower their teams around skills-based hiring, around skills-based mobility. And as we're releasing those and as we're making developments, we'd love to bring you along with us. So make sure to follow us there too. And I'll make sure that all those links and the book recommendations are in the show notes. Bailey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Just to wrap up, have you any final thoughts you'd like to share? This is a big topic. I know we just kind of scratched the surface, but really the biggest thing I think is we are very time crunched leaders in a uh, very stressful world is uh, make sure you create space for you. As much as we talked about bringing up everyone with us and around us, and that is a responsibility, uh, keep your Keep your boundaries clear and make sure that as you're championing women and championing the people around you, it's um, it's a positive experience for you and the organization and that you're really getting joy from it. That's beautiful. Thank you. I always like to say to people, make sure you keep your sparkle. Um, oh, I like that. 
Yeah, it's partly I love sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been incredible. And I hope listeners have found a new way of looking at mentoring. If you're a time poor, feeling a bit guilty um, and needing a different way to look at hiring, make sure you go check out Credly's website. But until next time, listeners, stay on your tech leadership game as always and follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.